Hey, hey, a belated welcome back to the Deep Focus podcast. I've been on hiatus for a while. I'm your host, uh, Rodrigo Perez, the editor-in-chief of the Playlist.net. I've been on hiatus, like I said, as I am kind of want to do. And this episode is kind of technically like episode 3.5 or something because it's a callback to a conversation and interview I did with Rebecca Hall in the summer of 2020 about the Amazon show Tales from the Loop, which she stars in, which is very good. And you should go back and listen to that podcast. It's like an hour long or something. We got in really in-depth and everything. But this week, Rebecca Hall's directorial debut, Passing, is premiering at the Sundance Film Festival. And, um, you know, we got into a good, long, 20-plus minute kind of sidebar tangent about Passing. We really got into it. It's going to be on everybody's lips this week. It seems like it's the it's poised to be the breakout film of Sundance. I know a lot of people, have, I, I've heard word of mouth saying, people are already saying that's amazing. I have not seen it. Nobody's seen it except uh, industry people, but... I've heard that it's it's pretty great, and since that's coming back, and I, I feel like it's going to dominate the Sundance conversation, I thought I'd re-jump in and sort of recycle and, and reshare this conversation with Rebecca about passing her, her directorial debut. She obviously has not directed uh, or written a film before, but but she, here she is uh, leaping in, you know, headfirst to do that with her first indie. And it's also kind of, you know, potentially sell, semi-loaded topic. It's a an acclaimed 1929 Harlem Renaissance novel by Nella Larson, and it's about two African-American women who, who can pass as white, and they have chosen to live on the opposite lines of the, of the color line, and they're, they were friends from high school, but they meet uh, reunite as adults, and now their renewed acquaintance threatens both of their lives. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how, because I haven't seen it, but I'm assuming just the revelation of, of, of who they are, because, you know, they're, they're playing, they're passing, right? And, and that's a complicated thing about identity and also, you know, potentially cu- cultural appropriation. But the interesting thing about Rebecca Hall, and the, which I found in this conversation, is that she is uh, biracial, just like the, the characters in the story from her, from her parents. African-American and Dutch ancestry is what, you know, Rebecca's background is. I believe her mother it was from D- Detroit, Michigan, and was biracial. And her grandfather was from somewhere in, I think, Sweden or something like that, and then biracial. So she's got apparently, you know, a lot of this stuff, this this complicated and complex struggle with identity is is stuff that really spoke to her because it's part of her identity and a part of her, her personality. But but things that her parents, you know, as, as I remember, we spoke about it, that they didn't really talk about as well. You know, it was like, it was stuff that, that, that she struggled to get out of her parents to talk about, you know, like, so a lot of the conversation at first was about, you know, permits and permissions, like, you know, like, do we have the, do you, does does anyone who is not black person, an African American person have the, you know, uh, the permission to tell these stories, but, you know, it's part of her background, it's part of her ancestry and part of her identity. And I think she spoke about it quite well and at length and thoughtfully with a lot of empathy and understanding and kindness. And I think she knows it's loaded too, but I, I, I don't know. I, again, I have not seen the film, but you know, in talking to her about it, she really sold me on it. Uh, a little quote that, that she gave me when, that I'll, that I'll say, say from the podcast is she told me 
I came across passing at a time when I was trying to reckon creatively with some of my personal family history and the mystery surrounding my biracial grandfather on my American mother's side. In part, making this film has been an exploration of history to which I never really had access. Close quote. So that's, you know, pretty interesting. She described passing as uh, about two women struggling not just what it meant to be black in America, but with gender conventions, the performance of femininity, the institutions of marriage, the responsibilities of motherhood, and the ways in which all of those forces intersect. I don't know. I was personally really fascinated about it. And Passing is coming out. It stars Ruth Nega and uh, Tessa Thompson. It's obviously not out yet, but it's going to be at the Sundance Film Festival. It's Rebecca Hall's directorial debut. And I felt it uh, was... uh, a pretty apt and appropriate. Uh, I think it would be smart just to, you know, bring this conversation back up to the fore again. I really thought I wanted to tee it up and and uh, and and see what we can get with that. Anyhow, so with you know passing coming to the Sundance Film Festival this week, yeah, I just wanted to give it some shine. I think she's really eloquent about it. I think she sounds really thoughtful. The film was apparently really thoughtful and really delicate, delicately made, and I really got that impression just from the conversation I had with her. All right, well, this episode is brought to you by City So Real. In National Geographic's documentary series, City So Real, Oscar-nominated documentarian Steve James delivers a fascinating and complex portrait of Chicago, the quintessential American city, set against the backdrop of its history-making 2019 mayoral election and the tumultuous 2020 summer of COVID-19 and social upheaval following the death of George Floyd. Hailed by IndieWire as the most prescient and meaningful docuseries of 2020 America and Rolling Stone as an insightful, exhilarating, and absolutely vital portrait of a great American city, City So Real appeared on more than a dozen 2020 best of lists, including President Obama's. For more information, visit natgeo.tv slash FYC. And as always, this podcast you're listening to now, Deep Focus, is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes uh, Be Real, The Discourse, The Fourth Wall, and the regular Playlist Podcast hosted by Charles and his pals. Um, it can be heard on iTunes, Anchor FM, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, basically wherever you can get your podcasts. You can follow us on iTunes and all that. And, you know, we really, we'd really appreciate it if you rate us, subscribe, drop us a comment, whatever it is. Um, we appreciate that. And so as I'm going to say in another podcast, because you'll hear later this week, my uh, sort of low-key 2021 resolution is to hopefully record some more of these deep-focused uh, interview podcasts. This is sort of like a bit of a do-over, obviously, or a, a, a recycling little bit that I just wanted to uh, highlight. But um, yeah, thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy it. This is my conversation with Rebecca Hall about her indie film, Passing. So tell me a a little bit, I, you know, tell, tell, tell me a little bit about that. And, and then your, your, you know, uh, Passing, obviously your director, director, it's not out yet. It's going to hopefully maybe be sometime this this year who knows who knows i just um, i'm still in post-production in in whatever way that you can be in Mm post-production right now so tell me about that and and then and then what made you want to tell that story obviously conversations about passports and permissions to tell 
stories, uh, mm-hmm. you know, ideas of, you know, whatever you want to call it, cultural appropriation come up, but mm-hmm. you obviously have a real window into that given mm-hmm. the history of your parents. Tell me about all of that. I feel like it's a really interesting, and I, it seems like I started hearing about there in my research going back, like I've heard about this maybe as, as far, it's been mentioned as far back as like something like 2016 or something. So it seems like something that's been really in your consciousness or in your brain for a long time. Yeah, well, I, it's based on a novella by a woman called Mella Larson. Mm-hmm. She wrote it in 1929. It's about two black women who are able to pass for white. And one makes a choice to do it entirely and has married a white man who's a racist and is fully immersed in a white world. And the other has chosen not to and lives in Harlem and is married to a black man and has two children and, you know, is, is very active in, in the book. It's called the Negro Welfare League, right. uh, you know, like a, an equivalent of NAACP. Right. And it's a Harlem Renaissance novella. The story is essentially about how these two women's lives intersect. They were at high school together and they've not seen each other. They've lost touch. And at the beginning of the film, they run into each other. And it becomes a story of many, many, many parts. It's, it's not just about this decision to cross the colour line as much as it is also a story about all the various ways in which we create personas and pass for things in life and construct identities um, that are external to ourselves or don't match up to the things that we want or choose. It's about the performance of femininity. It's about the performance of sexuality, of strong you could say there's a strong homosexual undergirding a little bit. It's about many, many things. I, but primarily it's about, it has a racial context, obviously. I first read the book when I was about 25, maybe 23, somewhere between 23 and 25. I was just coming to terms with the fact that my family on my mother's side were from Detroit, Michigan and were black and didn't really talk about it. (laughs) And it was strange for me growing up in this sort of very, uh, very, very, very privileged, um, some would call it bohemian artistic, whatever you want to say, sort of countryside white life. Laura Ashley and Chintz and all the rest of it. <laughs> and uh, my mother was always very, um, she's, a, she's a very extraordinary person. She's an extraordinary talent. And, you know, there's, there's a lot that's very mysterious about her and extraordinary. I don't know how else to put it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't, you know, this was a thing that was not hidden from me exactly, but also hidden from me. It wasn't talked about. And when I did get a little older, you know, I would have these (sighs) conversations with my mother where it would come up, you know, and, or I'd look at a picture of her and I'd say, hang on a minute, can we talk about how you began, where you came from, what this, and, uh, you know, sometimes she would say yes, and sometimes she would say no, and, and I understand the reasons, and I understand, because her father didn't talk about it. 
he was likely passing for white. His parents were both likely probably passing for white. And I don't still don't know enough about it. But I feel that the, the legacy of that choice, the, which is sadly, tragically, a sort of internalization of some sort of shame. Yeah. Is, is a very potent force in a family. And when I was beginning to come to terms with this, someone handed me this book and said, you're going you're gonna to find this book interesting. <laughs> and I read this book and I was so, so moved. And I understood these women, even though it sort of reads like sometimes you think it's like street con and desire. Sometimes you think it's, you know, there are all these things. It's way, way, way ahead of its time. And certainly how we talk about sort of intersectionalism and all these things. This book is it. And I was so, I don't know, I was so drawn to it. And I understood the women and I knew that I had no right to. Like I didn't understand why the hell I understood these women, but I knew that I had, that I did. And I, as an exercise in trying to get my head around that, I sat down and I adapted it into a screenplay. And as I was adapting it into a screenplay, there were several things that became more and more crystal clear. The fact that I've always wanted to direct a film. The fact that my love of film is very much rooted in a, in a, in a, a kind of unfashionable old school black and white way of making movies. And then it became clear to me that the film had to be made in black and white then it became clear to me that the film had to look a certain way, that it had to be framed a certain way, that it had to have the kind of ratio of old movies. Mm. And it had to, and I could see every shot and, you know, slowly the picture started emerging of how completely I would make this film. And I knew every part of it, including how I would score it, which has all remained actually, funnily enough. And I then got very frightened when I did finished it and I threw it in a drawer and I thought, well, I, that's, that's a very ambitious thing to do. Like you, if your first film can't be a period film that's, that takes on enormous issues and is in black and white and is, you know, all these things. And I was kind of frightened of it. So I sort of, I sort of tucked it away thinking, well, maybe I'll come to that one day. And then as I got older, I had a baby. I got into a more of a sort of, uh, you know, I don't care mentality, <laughs> I guess, a little bit. And by the way, in the sort of last 10 years, I did maybe starting seven years ago, I did start slowly showing it to people and saying, you know, do you, I want to make this at some point. Do you think this is makeable? How would, you know, what would be the budget? How could I get the money for this? And everyone universally said to me, well, it's great. It's wonderful, but you'll never get it made. And that continues. And I, and again, that was something that sort of made me retreat, made me retreat. And then in the last three years, I got a little angry about that because I met Tessa Thompson and I met Ruth Negger and they read the script and they agreed to do it. And well, then I was like, well, now I've got to get it made. Like they, they believe in me. They want to do it. They're going to be phenomenal in this. I've got to get this thing made. And it became a real uh, dog with a bone situation. And it was not easy to get the funding for it because, you know, for a lot of reasons, but black and white also is not a very fundable thing for someone's first film. So it's been, it's been a hard road. And, uh, you know, yeah, of course, this question of whether I have the right to tell this story is something that's been on my mind from the beginning. Mm. And, and it has everything to do with 
who I choose to produce the film, who I hire, who I cast. It's absolutely informed the whole process. It's produced by Nini Yang and, and Forrest Whisker. And, you know, there are, there are a lot of people who are really, uh, who support this. And I've, and I've worried about it and I still worry about it. And of course, the very reasons that I was so drawn to this material and so committed to making this film are the same reasons that it will never be a settled question. <laughs> you know, the choice my grandfather made to pass, I've said this already, but it, it meant that blackness in my family was passed down as, as denial and evasion. And so that part of my identity is and probably will always remain elusive, you know, and... I recognize that confusion in this story, not just because of my family, but because of my experience as a woman um, playing the various roles that women are asked to play in this world. And, you know, in a certain way, it's very straightforward. This story felt true to me and my experience. And so I needed to tell it. So I can only put this movie out into the world in the hope that the film speaks for itself and that the people in it are recognizable and that there is some truth in it that people who see it can relate to. And I hope that it, and I hope that it does. I can't wait to see it. I mean, it sounds, it sounds so rich. It sounds so. Yeah, it, sounds it is. Crazy. And it is. And I, I'm, I'm, it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm pretty proud of it. I have to say it, it was, it was an ambitious undertaking, but I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it. And I think that Tessa Thompson and Ruth Negger and Andre Holland are phenomenal in it. I'm just completely, I have such a sort of newfound respect for actors and watching them all work. It's just very humbling. I mean, they're just extraordinary actors. It must be so, it's interesting, you know, you, you know, you have, you've never directed a film before, or at least a feature, and then, you know, you're jumping into this, but at the same time, actors obviously understand actors and, and that kind of the uh, nonverbal or kind of, I don't know, you know, that kind of ineffable thing about acting that, that you, you can kind of communicate with them that maybe like a filmmaker who might be the greatest filmmaker in the world, <laughs> you know, the greatest compositions in the world. But, you know, even Stanley Kubrick was maybe not most, the most sensitive human being in the whole world. You know, he might have known images better than anybody, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think sometimes, I think it goes both ways, honestly. I think, I think there were days where I was... You know, the thing that I have is I have a tremendous respect for actors and I have a respect for what they do and I'm not going to tell them how to do it. But then on the other hand, I also know the times when I want to be told what to do. So, you know, I would I would employ both both swings of the pendulum, I think. (laughs) People like the line reading when they're like not sure where they need to be. Yeah, it's not really about a line reading, but definitely I think you've got it. You've got to you've got to be able to read what people need. You've got to be able to see. I mean, really the job of of directing a film seems to me I mean I don't know from making one this is what I gleaned but who knows it could change but it seems to me you 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 have the film in your head and then the job is making sure that everyone knows that they're making the same film you know and it's just an endless sort of repetition it's just describing it describing it describing it describing it to everybody because especially if it's tonally complex you can't you can't afford for someone to assume that they're making a different film to the one that's in your head is, is part of the impetus for, I mean, obviously there's a personal thing here for you that really drew you, but is part, part of the impetus of wanting to direct a little bit of that, sometimes the frustration that many actors have when, you know, they're sort of like, they can be, or they can feel sometimes that they're a cog in the wheel sometimes. Yeah, but I kind of like being a cog in the wheel when I'm being an actor. It's, it's okay, you know, I, I, sort of, I find it interesting. I'm just sort of watching everything and, and letting, you know, it's someone else's, the, the larger picture is it's up to them it's their vision and I'm just sort of doing my best to tell the story and I'm sort of interested in seeing what that person's vision is I don't think that I 
you know, I don't, I don't think I've done, I don't think I've transitioned into directing out of some sort of frustration with acting. I love acting. I think it's great. I don't have any problems with it whatsoever. I just don't think I've ever really considered myself only an actor. I've, you know, I've always painted, I've always played music, I've always wanted to make a film because it combines all of these artistic elements and, you know, and, and it, it's a way of expressing yourself that seems to me com- complete. And it's all, it's the thing that I've wanted to do my whole life. I've just, I've just spent a long time getting there. It makes me think of, of, of Tumble Down, and I wonder if you have a secret music career in you somewhere. <laughs> well, funnily enough, I sometimes sing with a band, but it's very low-key, and I never tell anyone about it. <laughs> uh, so it's one of those things where like, a band shows up in Brooklyn, and they're playing, and unannounced, you know, you just happen to come up on stage. and It has it. happened. So <laughs> that is what happens. Okay. So you just have to be lucky enough to, to be there, huh? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I wanted to ask you uh, what, you know, you've obviously worked with all these great directors. You worked with Steven Spielberg, you worked with Christopher Nolan, you worked with Angela Robinson. What are some of the things that you've, you've gleaned and, and learned from, from these people that you wanted to apply into making your own film? Well, every single one of them, you learn something. It's, it's impossible. But, you know, I, I do think that, that experience is really the best kind of school that you can get. And so I feel I've had a lot and everyone is so different. You know, every approach to filmmaking is so different. And I've seen lots of different styles. And it's, I think a lot of it is just when you see someone doing it a certain way, then it gives you permission to both do it that way and to decide not to. And I feel very lucky that I've seen a lot of it. You know, you learn something like, you know, you work on a Woody Allen set and you realise that it's possible to shoot a four-page dialogue scene in one setup. <laughs> and then you know you you go on a Ron Howard set and you realize it's possible to do a four-page scene with 25 setups and you know then you you work with Christopher Nolan and you realize that how he works is he's got the whole thing storyboarded in his head and every time you shoot anything he's editing it in in real time in his brain and working out if it's going to work or not <laughs> or you work with someone like Nicole who's much much more organic in the sense of she's shaping and refining it in real time, but it's not, it's not necessarily going to turn out that way because the whole thing is a sort of movable feed. And I think all of these, all of these approaches are valid because the medium is personal. If you don't find your way into it, you're not going to make a personal film. And I, I think, I think authorship as a filmmaker is important. You know, I think it's too, it's too bigger it's too sort of, I don't know, it's too kind of a, what's the word I'm looking for? It's too fortuitous a medium to not use it for that. Like you can use it for that. Am I right in thinking that Steven Spielberg let you direct a scene? in? in <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, kind of. He, he was, he had this very, you know, he had this very advanced uh, technology where, you, I, I don't even know what it's called, but you have sort of, you have screens on four sides of you and you're standing in the middle of it holding a joystick like it's a computer game and this is all a VFX thing and you can you can be the camera and move around and decide where you're going to shoot it and he was doing a thing of a like BFG coming down a hill and I was I was being as I often am on film sets sort of 
probably uh, rudely <laughs> nosy with the director <laughs> and finding out what they're doing all the time and trying to look over their shoulder at the monitor and see what, what it is they're up to. And so I was asking him a lot of questions and he was like, all right, have a go. <laughs> I don't think it made it into the movie. I don't know. <laughs> it's got to be interesting working on those kinds of movies and, you know, the scale and, and, the, and the, mm. those kind of challenges and, you know, you've done it in the past, you've done it in a Spielberg, Steven Spielberg movie, you've done it in a Marvel movie, you've done it in an upcoming Godzilla movie. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, is the challenge there, like finding the humanity or whatever it is that, that the tethering human part in, in all this fantastical thing, things going around you? I mean, yes, it always is. But when they get very outlandish, some, sometimes you sort of, you know, it, it can... Um it can turn into something slightly different. But I, I think, I, I think the sort of the, 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 the consistent thread is tell the story. Right. You know, am, am I being clear? Is the story working? Because if the story's not working, if you're not communicating the story, then the film's not going to work and you've not done your job. So, you know, I always come back to that. And I'll be a stickler for script issues. Like if, the, if there's something that doesn't add up with two scenes ago and we haven't shot it or we did shoot it, then I'll always... You know, I'll always find a sort of through logic um, and make sure that the story is holding together. That's the filmmaker in you. (laughs) That's the filmmaker. It is the filmmaker in me. Um, Um, I'm the first person to say that. (laughs) I'll let you go. But I've noticed that that you... um, that you uh, you've started you know obviously you're, you're writing directing this feature and and you produced as well you produced mm-hmm. what you did with with uh, your friend Dan and mm-hmm. is, is like is that sort of what you're gearing towards I mean I've, I've your 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 choice in movies already is is you know is is quite select you've got these things like Christine that's that's quite amazing and 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 different and 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 now you're producing and and tell me about that and and is that is that sort of the way we're going to see you go in terms of your choices and what you do and those kinds of you know you're it sounds like you're looking at things in filmmaking rather than just as an actor. Yeah, I think so. I think I've always been sort of moving towards that. I I um you know it's nice to be able to facilitate ideas and make them come to fruition and yeah. and and help enable things in that respect and I think it's important if I want to see the sort of films in the world that I want to see then I should probably help get them made but I don't know producing it's hard it's very it's really hard <laughs> and it's not you know I'm not I'm not a, I'm not a kind of inherently organized type of person so it can be quite difficult for me I know that I've got to do it but I, I do find it difficult I think um and I, I love directing and writing and I think that's sort of where I've always wanted to, you know, if I produce it as a means to doing that, ultimately. I noticed that you didn't obviously, well, I don't know, obviously because some people do it, but you don't, you don't have a role for yourself in, in your directorial debut. And is that just because no. <laughs> it's like, this is hard enough as it is? It's hard enough as it is. I, there's, I wouldn't want to do it. I, I never say never, but I don't want to. I, I wouldn't want to do it with my first film, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And I would never have cast myself in this film because that that really would have been uh, insane. So you know, luckily that that wasn't a part for me. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen people do it though, right? Because you worked on the yeah. Track, right? I have. I have, and people manage it. It seems to me to be a bit like you know patting your head and rubbing your stomach at the same time for, you know, four months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
that sounds difficult. All right, that's it. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I hope passing is good. I hope to see it uh, this week. I hope you get to see it soon as well. I'm pretty sure there's going to be a lot of buzz from Sundance. We'll see. Um, who knows how these things are reacted to. And again, I haven't seen it, but I think she's got good motivations and intentions. And uh, come, it seems to come from a good place, which is always really important in filmmaking. Um, as always, the Deep Focus podcast is part of the Playlist Podcast Network. You can find us on iTunes, Anchor FM, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify. Please rate us, subscribe us, uh, give us a comment, uh, share, word of mouth, etc., blah, blah, blah. Let people know. And I will try and do this more frequently in 2021. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for stopping by. See you next time. Thanks. Thanks.